That video illustrates what we've been talking about. We simply said this, that when you say the name Jesus, all kinds of pictures come to people's minds. They have all kinds of evaluation, interpretation as to who they think Jesus is. We've been using the illustration of fake news. Fake news, something that's not true, report it, repeat it, eventually believed as true. Here's what happens with Jesus. Over time, somebody tells me something about Jesus, it's repeated to me about Jesus, eventually I believe it's true whether or not it is or not. And so what happens, I believe something that may be incomplete or may be inaccurate and a lot of people come up with their idea of who Jesus is based on what somebody told them, based on what the headlines are, based on the media. And so we've been throwing pictures up here every week. When you Google Jesus, there's all kinds of pictures that come to our mind, different pictures and caricatures of Jesus that come to our mind. Most people have heard the name Jesus Tons of people have different pictures of who he is, what he did, what he was all about. So we said this, if that's the case, why not just go to Jesus and see what he had to say about himself, right? Why not go to the source and say, who did he say he was? That's why you have your Bible open to the book of John. Because in the book of John, John, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there is an Old Testament, New Testament, okay? First four books of the New Testament are the story of Jesus, They're literally his story. They kind of recount the days and times of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, all that. So you have four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the most unique of those books. So if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're going to sound a lot alike. John says, I want to give you a different perspective. I want to lean into the story of Jesus in a different way so as to highlight different things for a particular reason. And one of the things John does is this. He highlights seven statements that Jesus makes about himself. Seven I am statements. So Jesus says, I am, and then fills in the blank seven times. That's what we've been looking at. He said, I am the bread of life after he fed 25,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Literally, I'm the source of spiritual life. I'm the sustainer of that. He said, I am the light of the world. It's one of the most popular. And yet there's so much more going on there than just, hey, he's a good thing. He's the light in the dark. He is something that he is saying something is very profound. Week three, he said something was controversial. He said this, I am the I am. And to us, that sounds like bad English. But to those that have been listening to him, he simply was saying this, I'm God. That's who I am. I am God. Then we said, he said, I am the good shepherd, which only makes sense when we realize that he says that against the backdrop of some guy getting kicked out of church. And he says, you know, all these shepherds, religious leaders, I'm the good shepherd. And I want to tell you what that's about. Last week, Resurrection Sunday, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. This week, he's going to say this, John chapter 14, this is what Jesus is going to say. Some of you have heard it before. He's going to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In fact, if you're filling in your notes, I would write that down. Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. Some of y'all grew up in church. And so for you, this is very familiar. This is something you've heard. In fact, if you grew up in church, chances are this, maybe you memorized it, right? It's kind of like one of the most famous verses that you have kiddos memorize. But even though you might have memorized it, chances are maybe you've never dug in and said, okay, what was Jesus saying? What did he mean? 
Some of y'all didn't grow up in church, but the chances are also very high that you've heard it. Here's why. Because this is something that shows up on t-shirts and bumper stickers, right? And so it's something that many people have heard, this John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I am the, the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But here's the deal. When you look at this statement that gets put on a bumper sticker, it's on plaques and houses, it's quaint, ready? It's familiar, but what gets lost many times is this, is that as quaint and as familiar as it is, it is profound, now listen close. And this statement is even polarizing. This statement leans into every last one of us in this room this morning. Every last one of us in this room this morning, this statement applies, leans into us somehow. And it is a profound and even polarizing statement. For us to understand what Jesus was saying, we have to understand the story. Now listen close. I want you to hear this. Jesus didn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, so that we would have something to put on a plaque, so that we'd have something to put on a bumper sticker. Jesus said that in the context of a whole story going on. And when you understand that story going on, boom, it begins to pop. What did he mean? The story, here we go, ready? The story starts like this, in John 13 to John 17. So if you have your Bibles, you look at John 13 to John 17. I want you to remember this. That is what is commonly known as Jesus's farewell address. So from John 13 to John 17, he literally is having a conversation with his disciples and he's getting ready to bid them farewell. When you read the book of John, the whole mood changes beginning in chapter 13. In fact, you can kind of see it change. Look at chapter 13, verse one. Here's what it says. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come. What hour was that? The hour for him to leave this world and go to the Father. The whole tone begins to change. And what you have chapter 13 to 17 is this intimate farewell conversation Jesus has with his disciples. So after we find out that he knows his hour's come, here's what happens. John chapter 13. He and his disciples are sitting around. They're having a meal together. And all of a sudden, Jesus does something that is very weird to them. He gets up from the meal. Remember, he's the leader. He's the teacher. And he wraps a towel around his waist. And he begins to kneel and wash each of his disciples' feet. That would have been weird because a servant would have done that. And now their teacher and leader is doing that. In fact, some of them protested like, no, 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 not me, right? And Jesus says this, no, no, you need to understand that what I'm doing now, you may not totally get, but I'm trying to teach you something very profound about God's grace and cleansing forgiveness in your life. So already the mood in the, in the room is kind of like, what is going on? Jesus is washing her feet. And then when he gets done doing that, it gets even weirder. Because here's what happens. Jesus, after he washes her feet, he sits back down. And then he says this. He said, one of y'all. Y'all who? Y'all 12. There's 12 of them. He, said, he looks at him and says, one of y'all is going to betray me. Can you imagine? These guys have been hanging out with each other for three years, man. They're like... One of who? Like, we know each other pretty good. Like, is it you? Is it me? And why in the world would somebody do that? Why would Jesus say that? 
And then it got even weirder because Jesus looks at these guys who've been following him, where he went, they went, and this is what he said. He said, I'm getting ready to go somewhere and where I'm going, you can't come right now. So these guys are like, say what? Like we left everything to follow you and now you said you're gonna go somewhere and we can't come? Like you can almost cut the tension with a knife, right? And I love Peter because at that point, Peter speaks up. You know, Peter's always like speaking up, right? And Peter says this, he's like, eh, I don't know where you're going, I don't know about the rest of them. But if you're going somewhere, I'm going with you, even if that means I gotta die with you, right? Peter's like, I'm in, right? And here's what Jesus says. This is when he drops the bombshell. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I hear you, man. That's great. But guess what? Before the night is out, you're gonna disown me three times. Say what? That's the backdrop to John 14. That's why when you look at your Bibles, look at John 14, 1. It helps put some color on what Jesus says next. Look at what he says. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why did he say that? Because their hearts were troubled. <laughs> he just told them he's going away. He just told them one of them's gonna betray. He just told Peter, you're gonna disown me. Their hearts were troubled and he says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back, take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house. I'm gonna prepare a place for you there and then I'm gonna come and get you so that we can be together. And then he says something interesting. He says, verse four, you know the way to the place where I'm going. That leads Thomas to ask a question. Remember Thomas last week? Remember Thomas? Thomas is Eeyore, right? He's like, oh dear, I'll go die with, right? Remember him? I love Thomas. He's honest. He's like many of us. We got questions, right? Jesus is okay with your questions, by the way, this morning. God can handle your questions. So Thomas asks, he's like, uh, Lord, <laughs> we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? Legit, right? Like, yeah, you're saying we know the way. I don't even know where you're going. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I remember when I first, first moved here, right? And let me put this, when I first moved, nine years ago, my family and I, we moved here. And, and some of y'all grew up here. And I can remember somebody saying to us when I say, hey, we'll meet you at Durbin's. See you there. Boom, gone. I'm like, dur what? Like, I didn't, even, I didn't know what Durbin's was. I didn't know where Durbin's was. I didn't know the way. I think that's what Thomas is facing, right? Jesus is like, I'm going to the Father's house. Y'all know the way. And Tom's like, how are we gonna know the way? We don't even know where you're going, which is what led Jesus to say, hey, listen, the way, listen close, the way is not a map that you map out. It's not a route that you somehow plot out on a map, but it is a relationship you have with a person. And that's what leads him to say, verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's fascinating. What does he mean? Here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna get a spoiler alert. We need to talk about what did Jesus mean? And then we need to ask the question, so what? What does it mean to me? What did Jesus mean? Well, we gotta understand the context of the story. His disciples are all worked up because he's leaving. One of them's gonna betray. One's gonna disown. What's going on? Everything as we knew it is, is different. And Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house. What's he talking about? Let me tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about heaven. 
Can I tell you this, that Jesus doesn't make any bones about the fact that heaven is a real place, that heaven is not a figment of our imagination, not a fairy tale planet, but heaven is a real place for real people. He says, our, my father's house has many, what? Rooms. Now, look here a second. I just love seeing your eyes when I do this. I'll make some of y'all mad. All right. Some of y'all grew up in church. I'm going to make you mad. Here's why I'm going to make you mad. Because some of y'all, you grew up in church and and your grandma gave you the Bible that you're using, and it's a good Bible, it's a great Bible, keep using it, but you love the Bible that she gave you, and it's the King James Version Bible. It was actually translated in 1611, okay? Good Bible, great Bible. But here's what your King James Version Bible says. In my father's house, there are many mansions, right? And so we have songs about that. I'm going to my mansion over there, right? And we love that. Keep listening to those songs. They're great, whatever, but that's not what the word means, <laughs> That's not what, you know, it's like we get these minds, man, I got this big old house up there, you know, whatever. And so we, we get this idea. That's not what the word means. And in fact, rooms is a, is, is a great and is a fine translation. But actually what the word means, I think this gives it more power. It's a place where we can abide. And what he's saying is this, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place, a place where people, listen close, people who are wandering around can settle down and rest. The older I get, the better that sounds, right? And here's why that pops. Because what Jesus is saying is this, I'm going to go prepare a place where people who are wandering around can actually set up and settle themselves. Here's why that makes sense. But the Bible says this. You may not know this. Let me tell you it. The Bible says that this life that we're living right here is a temporary life and it's a lot like tent camping. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you can write this down, check me on it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that this life that we live, it's temporary, it's like tent camping, we're wandering, we're passing through, and our tents, 2 Corinthians 5, are our bodies. He gives us these bodies and there are tents as we temporarily live out life here. Some of us got better tents than others, right? Some of our tents have kind of been through the ringer, right? I got it, right? But nonetheless, we got tents, for our time here. That's the way it rolls. And so what Jesus is simply saying is this, heaven is a real place for real people who've been tent camping to settle down and rest. But that's not what makes heaven special. That's what gets all the press. Everybody's like the golden streets and it's going to be great. That's not what makes heaven heaven, by the way. You know what makes heaven heaven? Not the place it's not, it's not any of that, but what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God there. And that's why Jesus says this, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I'm coming back and I'm going to get you. That takes me back to Thomas's question then, because that's an interesting question. And I think the disciples at that point in time, a picture would have come to their mind. Stay with me. I think this will make sense to some of you. When Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place, come back, I think the disciples, I don't have any proof for this, but I think they would have thought about a first century Jewish wedding. You're like, why? Right? I mean, that's a good question. Because here's how a first century Jewish wedding would have taken place. A bride and a groom would have been engaged. They would have been betrothed, legally bound to each other. Do you remember a story about a person named Joseph and Mary? They were betrothed. They were engaged, right? Do you remember that? And he was going to divorce her to put her away, like, like before they came together as husband and wife. So you get engaged, and then what happens is the groom, he goes and does what? He prepares their home. 
When the home is prepared, what does he do? He comes back with a procession, right? A procession. He claims his bride. They consummate their marriage and then they go live in the place that's been prepared. What a picture. Jesus uses that imagery I think throughout scripture, he is the groom, the church is the the bride, he's preparing a place. So Thomas asked a question, Jesus said, I am the way to this place. What's Jesus saying? I want you to write it down this way. Jesus is saying this, he's not mumbling, he's saying, I'm the only road to heaven. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I am the only road to heaven. Here's the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is this, that cuts right against the grain of our 21st century American culture, just does. Because we live in a culture that wants to see all roads going to heaven, right? And so Jesus might be a way to heaven and we're like, that's cool, but the way, that's a little intolerant, that's a little, that's a little exclusive, Right? And so what happens is, is this cuts right against the grain. But here's what I know. Ready? Look here a second. Every last one of us is trusting something about heaven. And you're trusting something about heaven and the way to get there. Some of you don't believe there is a heaven. You're like this, God said this. But you're trusting something. You you put your faith in that. Some of you are are, are trusting that the way to heaven is, is obey the Ten Commandments. Right? You're like, that's the way to do it. You were told that, your grandma told, whatever it is. And so you're trusting it. The problem with that is this. Most of us in the room already broke one this morning, right? And so we're like, man, I keep trying, but I can't. I keep trying, but I can't do it perfect. Some of us are trusting that our good stuff's gonna outweigh our bad stuff, but we live in this nightmare panic. We're not sure how good is good enough. And then there's a lot of us, and this is one of the most common things in our culture. We just believe God's love and he'll just accept everybody. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and this, he, said, he doesn't say, I'll point you to the way. He doesn't say, I'll show you the way. And he doesn't even say, I am a way. He says, I am the way. Listen close. Ready? Ready? I'll just say what some of you are thinking. That's arrogant. In fact, I talk to people, that's the problem they have with Jesus. They're like, well, that sounds kind of arrogant. You ready? I'm going to say something. I don't want to mumble. And it is. Unless it's true. It is, unless it's true. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I said, Nelson, I've never been to Nelson's house. Why haven't I been to your house, man? I've never been to his house, right? But if I said, if Nelson said, come on over for a big steak for your birthday, right? That's what I'm just giving work. But but, (laughs) hint, hint, nudge, nudge, right? But if Nelson said, come on over to my house, Dan, what am I gonna say? I'm gonna say, Where do you live and how do I get there? If Nelson said, no problem, I live right here and here's how you get here. Imagine what it'd be like if I said, well, that's arrogant. I'm gonna find my own way, right? Silly, isn't it? See, why can Jesus say, I am the way? I want you to write this down. The reason he can say that, he knows the way because he's been there. If if you wanted to go somewhere, you would ask who? You'd ask somebody who's what? Been there, right? Nelson's obviously been to his house. I'm like, where do you live? Okay, I know how to get there. I know the way. He's been there. Why do I say that? Listen, because we live in a culture, ready? We live in a culture 
where all kinds of people who have never been there are telling us how to get there. You see what I'm saying? All kinds of people who have never been there are telling us how to get there. You see, the book of John makes it very clear that Jesus, this might be new news for some of you, Jesus did not start at Christmas. That's not the beginning of Jesus. John 1 says it this way, in the beginning was the word. Word was with God, word was God. Who is the word he's talking about? It's Jesus. So now let's read the verse. In the beginning was Jesus. Word, Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, check this out. This is so fascinating. Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you know what verse 14 is saying? That last verse, when it says the word, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you know that word made his dwelling among us? You know what that means? You know what it means? If you drill back into the Greek, you know what it means? It means this. This is so cool. If Jesus is God, he made his dwelling. Here's what that word means. He pitched his tent with us. Do you see what's going on? God who pitched his tent with us said, now I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. The God who came and dwelt among us, Jesus said, I'm he. I'm God who came and pitched my tent. I know the way. I've been there before. But it's not just because he's been there before. That, that only tells me he knows the way. Jesus didn't say, I know the way. He said, I what? Am the way. That's what he said. How could he say that? You ought to write this down. The reason he could say that is because he paved the way when he laid down his life for me. Because in a few short hours from this conversation in John 14, you know what's gonna happen? They're gonna arrest him and drag him away to be crucified. Jesus paved the way because here's the deal. Jesus, ready, listen close. I'm gonna say it clearly. Because Jesus walked the road of hell that I paved so that I might be able to walk a road to heaven that's been paved with his body and blood sacrificed for me. He said, I am the way. You know what that means? It means two things and then we gotta fly. It means two things and, and I would just rather say them than leave them up for interpretation. By the way, if I haven't said this already, you don't have to agree with everything I say to come here, but I believe that Jesus is clear about something this means two things. One, it means this. The road to heaven is exclusive. Jesus says there is only one way. Well, Dan, but Jesus says there is one way. That the road to heaven isn't principles you follow, a religion you adhere to. It's a relationship with Jesus. The way. Acts 4.12 says it this way. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The road to heaven is exclusive, but it also means this. The road to heaven is not just exclusive, it's inclusive. There is one way all are invited. One way all invited. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. There's room for all. There's room for you. You're like, well, this is my first Sunday ever in church. And if you knew my story and Jesus like, yeah, it's not about what you did. It's about what I did for you. See how it works? I'm the way. I'm the only way. But that's not all he says. He says, I am the way. 
I want you to see this because I think this is powerful. If you're a young adult in the room, by the way, if you're a young adult age 18 to 29, tonight, 6 o'clock, we'll meet down in the gym. I love hanging out with you. Okay? My wife and I, some other people, love hanging out with you. I think what Jesus says next is very, very, very relevant, very important. He says, I'm the way, and then he says what? I am the truth. What does he mean here? Well, look look here a second. We can come up with a meaning here. We can say, well, I think he might have meant this, right? And and maybe throw a dart and say, truth, he's a truth teller. He's a, I don't think you can understand what Jesus is saying here unless you look at the rest of the statement. The statement's in a story, in a conversation. And look at verse seven. If you really know me, you'll know the father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip asks, he says this, Lord, show us the Father, that'll be enough, right? Hey, that's a legitimate request. Can you just like show us God? And I think we're in, right? If you could show us the Father, I'm good, right? Look at what Jesus says. This is so powerful. Verse nine, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, look at this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm the only road to heaven. And he says, I'm the truth. He's saying, I'm the perfect revelation of God. He's saying, when you look at me, you're seeing God. And God is truth. God is truth because he made everything. He knows everything. He sees everything. In God is truth. He is truth. Jesus, this this is not an anemic bumper sticker statement. This is not a vanilla statement. I'm the way, the truth, and life. Feel good about that. Jesus is saying, don't miss this. I am God. Jesus never gives us the opportunity to say he's just an inspirational leader. He's just a respected prophet. He's a good teacher. Jesus never leaves that option available to us. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the truth. I love the way Hebrews puts it. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He's the truth. He embodies truth because he is God. God is truth. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God would do? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God thinks? Look at Jesus. He says, I'm the way, but I am the truth. The one who is talking to you, Jesus is saying, I am the one who's talking to you. I'm the one who made everything, sees everything, knows everything. I am the truth. Which is fascinating because if you fast forward a couple hours, you know what's gonna happen? Jesus is gonna be standing before a guy whose name is Pilate. Do you remember that story? And Pilate looks at Jesus and says, hey, they're saying you're a king. Like, I don't know. Is that true? I mean, are you really a king? And Jesus' response is fascinating. He says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Look at Pilate's response. What is truth? Guys, that's the question. 
Can I just tell you this, that whether you knew you were or not, that's the question every last one of you have been asking in some form or another. Not what is true about what happened last night. You, me, culture, religion, philosophy have been trying to answer the question, what is truth? And the way that we try to answer this question comes in four ways. You gotta write these things down. We wanna know what the truth is about where, how we began, the origin And then we want to know the truth about the meaning of life. And then we want to know the truth about what's really good and what's bad. And then we want to know the truth about destination. We want to know the truth about the origin of life. When did we begin? We want to know the truth about the meaning of our life. We want to know the truth about what's good, what's bad, what's moral, what's immoral, and the destination, what's the end of it. Here's why. You can't make sense of your life unless you begin to look at your life through the lens of truth. And we live in a culture, in a culture where there are tons of voices that are screaming, this is what's true. This is what makes your life meaningful. This is what's most important. This is what's moral. This is what's immoral. And Jesus is saying this. I want you to hear this this morning. He's saying, you cannot make sense of your life apart from me. Why? Because I'm truth. In me is the truth. I am your creator. I am the one who sees all, knows all. I am the truth. And so he says to Pilate, it's like, maybe it's the wrong question. Maybe what is truth is not the question. Maybe the right question is who is truth? See, every last one of us, we come in here and we look at our life through a certain lens. And through that lens, we determine that's what's true. And that's how we determine what's significant, what brings meaning to our life, what's important in our life, where our life's going to end, how we determine what's right and wrong. And Jesus says this, I am the truth. If you want to see your life, make sense of your life accurately, I'm the truth. He says, I'm the way. He says, I'm the truth. And then he says one more thing and then we'll land it. He says, I'm the life. What's Jesus saying here? I think this is what he's saying. Jesus is simply saying, I'm very, very busy. Did you know that about Jesus? Jesus is busy. Yeah, because as he's preparing a place there, the Bible says he's building his church here. Jesus has got two things going on, right? He's preparing a place there and he's building his church here. How's he building his church here? In and through people who've said yes to Jesus. People who've said yes to Jesus are part of his church. And so he saves us not just to eternal life, but for abundant life. Look at what he says, verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. He says, I'm getting ready to go. But you'll see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. He's simply saying this. this guys, this is mind-blowing. If you're in the room this morning and you've said yes to Jesus, really dial in now. He's saying for all those who have said yes to Jesus, I am the ultimate reason for your life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am the ultimate reason for your life. I am the reason that you're alive spiritually. Can I tell you something? The only way for you to be alive spiritually is Christ. 
The Bible says all of us are dead in our sins, but we're made alive in Christ. So we're dead. I, I said it this way before. We're dead is dead is dead is dead, right? You're dead. But in Christ, we come alive. That's where spiritual life happens. That's amazing grace. Can I get one amen? amen. Yeah. That's amazing grace. But here's my concern. That for far too many of us, maybe in the room, grace and the amazingness of grace start it and end it at the moment of our salvation. We're so glad God saved us. And every time we talk about God and the sto- our story as it pertains to God, we always point to our salvation story. And yet I think what Jesus is saying here is like, he said, yeah, that's amazing grace. But I am the life I'm not just the way. It's amazing that I'm the way, but I'm the life. There's this abundant life. And now he's saying this, for those who say yes to me, I want my life, check this out, to be lived out in you. That's mind-blowing. That's amazing. You say, what? Yeah, I'm building my church. I'm going away, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God dwelling in you and I want my life to be lived out in you. I don't just save you. In fact, everyone does, when he saves us, why didn't he just take us to heaven? Sometimes that sounds like a good plan, right? Right? But he's like, no, no, I'm building my church. I'm preparing a place, I'm building my church and my life's lived out in you. Galatians 2 says it this way. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's mind-blowing. Look here a second. And it's the very thing that makes the rest of the passage pop and come alive. You see, here's what I know, okay? Just shoot straight with you. There are some of you in the room, you've said yes to Jesus. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. But if you were honest, because some of you have talked to me, you don't feel alive. Grace has stopped being amazing and you don't feel alive. And Jesus saying, I'm the life, is confusing because you're like, I don't know. It's kind of going through the motions. And yet Jesus says, I am the ultimate reason for your life. And it makes the rest of this thing pop. And you gotta see it, guys. You gotta go there with me. This is rich. Look at verse 10, chapter 14. He says, don't you believe, he's talking to his disciples, that I am in the Father, the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. So he says, you can look at my life and see that the Father in me and I in the Father because I'm doing what the Father does. It's his work. Verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father, the Father's in me, or at least believe on evidence of the works themselves. He's like, you can look at my life and see Father in me, I in the Father. You can see that. Then look at verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, says yes to me, will do the works I have been doing. He doesn't stop. And they will do even greater things than these. Say, what? Is this Jesus talking? Yep. Because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What's he saying? I want you to write it this way. He's saying, I'm alive when I live for his purposes. 
I'm alive. He's saying, you can look. You'll do the works that I've been doing. You'll be about what I'm about. I'm alive when I live for his purposes. Can we just be honest? The reason some of us feel dead this morning, just being honest, is because we're living for our own purposes. We've kind of put aside Jesus' purposes. We're like, yeah, I kind of want to do my thing my way. And we read verse 13, and we read that verse, and we're like, yeah, Jesus said I'll do whatever you ask, and uh, I'll make sure that it happens. And so here's the way we read it, like, well, Jesus said it, and so I'm kind of working my purpose and my agenda, and Jesus, I need you to show up. And we're disappointed because, like, Jesus didn't keep his word. And it's like, yeah, you forgot to read verse 12. Because when you connect to me, you'll be doing what I do and even greater things because hundreds and thousands of you will begin to spread this gospel movement all over the globe. That's what he's saying there. And he says, that's how you begin to come alive. My life living in and out of you. That is it. When you connect to my purposes, when you're about what I'm about. That's what he's saying. And the reason some of us are dead is because we've disconnected like, yeah, I'm kind of doing my thing. But I wouldn't mind if, if Jesus kind of gave me whatever I ask. That sounds cool. That's a good deal. Not only that, but he goes on. I mean, we've got to race through this. But verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate, keywords, to help you and be with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit, by the way, spirit of truth. World cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He's saying, if you love me, you'll obey. And he says, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit and it's not just God with you, now it's God inside of you. Spirit of God residing inside of you. And he says this, I am alive when I live in his power. When I live in his power, it's like the power of God living inside of me. And I think this is what he's saying, and I really want you to dial in. I think what he's saying is I'm alive when I listen to what God says and respond. I listen and I respond. I listen and I respond. Can we just talk frank for a minute? I think the reason sometimes some of us don't feel alive in Christ, you ready, is because it's been a long time since we have done anything, you ready? anything that would require God's help. We have lives that are manageable. I got my 401k, I got my retirement, I got this, I got, I got my life, you know, I'm good. And what he says is, I'm gonna send you God living inside to help you. And for some of us, it's been a long time since we've ever followed Jesus, taken a step of faith that, that, that we need God to show up. And so we're dead because our lives are manageable and we get disappointed if they don't go the way that we wanted them to because God didn't show up the way we wanted them. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really want you to take a step of faith. I really want you to walk. On the, I, I want you to walk in such a way that I got to show up because here's the deal. Some of us don't feel intimacy with God. Can I tell you something? Intimacy with God isn't getting this flowery book, going on a mountain and feeling this quiver in your liver like, oh God, you know, that's not, you know where intimacy with God is experienced? Can I tell you? on the road of faith. It's experienced on the road of faith. Intimacy with God is experienced when I take steps and he says, I'm gonna give you spirit of God inside and he will help you. Help me with what? Help you obey. That's what he's saying. If you love me, you'll obey. 
He says, I want you to keep, but it's hard. I know, spirit of God inside, but I've never been here. I know, spirit of God inside, but this is uncomfortable. I know, spirit of God inside. And all of a sudden, as I take steps of faith, as I continue to obey, boom, that's where intimacy is experienced with God. You see, I had somebody this last week who I love, and I love the frankness of their email they sent me. I said, Pastor Dan, what do you do when something died inside of you? Somebody who's a wonderful follower of Jesus, a wonderful person. And, and, and I would simply say, man, I appreciate the frankness of the question. I think the answer is somewhere found in Jesus saying, I'm the life. And I think I've got to begin asking, have I disconnected from his purpose? Am I living in his power? Am I doing things that Spirit of God needs to show up? Am I obeying even when it's uncomfortable? I don't know. But then Jesus says something else that's, that's interesting. He says, all this, 25, I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything I've said to you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's what I would write down. I'm alive when I live with his peace. I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, here's what I want you to know. I want you to live with purpose. I want you to live in my power and I want you to live with my peace. Well, where does that peace come from? Look here a second. For those who've said yes to Jesus, can I tell you something? It doesn't come from circumstances because some of you, I look out into this group, some of you are going through awful circumstances. That's not where peace comes from. But peace comes from me knowing that whatever the circumstances are that I'm walking through, his presence will never leave and we know how this thing ends. He said, in this world, you'll have trouble. He, he, spoiler alert, he told us, in this world, you'll have trouble. But I've overcome. We know how the, and, and he's saying this, I want you to know my presence will never leave you and my promises are good. But it's hard right now, I know. Presence, promise, presence, promise, presence, promise. See, some of us aren't alive this morning because we've disconnected from his purpose. There's nothing that we're doing that would even need Spirit of God to show up. And we've begun relying on outside our family, our job, our, the world events to give us peace. And we've lost the peace. Jesus said, I'm the way, only road to heaven. I'm the truth. You wanna make sense of your life, it's through me. And I'm the ultimate reason for your life. She begs this question and then we're done. So what? What does this mean to me? I'm gonna invite Aiden to bring the band out and set up and as they do, I think the answer comes in the way of three questions and then we're, we're done. I think first I got to ask if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I got to ask myself, is Jesus my way? Is Jesus my way? What I, what I mean by that is this, if he is the way, I got to ask, what am I trusting this morning to get me to heaven? What am I trusting for forgiveness, to be part of God's family, to end up in this place of rest? Every last one of us is trusting something. And this morning, Jesus' invitation to you is saying, hey, I am the way. I paved the way for you. I made it possible. 
And this morning, maybe is your opportunity to say, you know, I, I want to say yes to Jesus. Maybe I need to ask myself the question this morning, is Jesus my truth? Because maybe this morning you're making sense of life and what's significant in life and what's important in life through a, through a, a faulty lens. Maybe it's a lens of what our culture tells us is really, really important and what matters and what's going to last. And Jesus is like, listen, you're trusting, you're trusting something that's not the truth. I'm the truth. I'm the truth. But quite possibly this morning, you're here and you've said yes to Jesus and you're dead inside. And maybe the way to take this morning's statement from Jesus home with you is to say, what would it mean for me to come alive connecting to his purpose and his power in a way that trusts his promise? Because he says, I want to live my life in you and through you. What I was doing then, I'm doing now. Where? Through you. Through you. But it seems like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I know. I get it. But my life is hard. I know. I'm not going to leave you. I wrote the last chapter. I'm building my church while I'm preparing a place for you. But it's really hard, I know. Can I tell you this? There's going to come a time when you're going to rest and settle down forever. You're going to rest and settle down forever. So God, I don't know where everybody's at in the room, but I know some stories in the room, and my guess is some have never trusted Jesus the way. I pray this morning would be that moment where they would say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you're the Savior, you're the way. Maybe some in the room this morning, God, are looking through their life through a faulty lens. I pray this morning would be the morning where they would see Jesus, the truth, begin to dial into what really matters in their life. God, I pray that you'd help us to come alive allow your life to live in us and through us this morning.